everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. With the team's offseason seemingly at a standstill over the holidays and likely remaining that way until the new year, uh, today's episode is going to focus a little bit on a couple of Marlins manager Don Mattingly's comments from his press conference that he gave last week. Uh, those comments specifically regarding what he thought of the team's success in 2020, the playoff run, the look at the prospects, being able to overcome everything they did despite the dealing with every, with the COVID-19 outbreak at the start of the year to still make the run they made, and how that is going to translate into 2021 when, fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever you want to do to make sure luck is on your side, when MLB will hopefully once again be back to its normal 162-game season. Uh, the first comment is Mattingly responding to how much weight he puts on a 60-game season, the value, the stats, the individual performances, how much he, how much weight he puts on a 60-game performance season compared to a normal 162-game slate. Here's his response. Well, I feel like this is what I think about the 60 is I feel like we took advantage of it. You know, I think our guys knew that it was, you know, let's get off to a good start. Uh, obviously, we had the COVID stuff going on, but we still continued it and got off to a good start. Uh, and that anything could happen in that type of season. Uh, I think 162 obviously is more challenging. It challenges your depth. Um, I think it takes a guy like um, like Corey Dickerson, who may have struggled a little bit. I think over 162, the longer schedule, he's better. You know, he gets even better. So I think we got a good look at a lot of guys. Uh, I think it's going to be good for them. Jesus Sanchez, Jazz Chisholm, uh, these guys got – got some at-bats, um, and, it, and it kind of give us, you know, a look into them, but it also give them a look into what it's like and how do they improve and how do they get better. So I look at the 60 as an evaluation like anything else. You look at your guys and see what they're able to do. Be realistic, uh, knowing that, you know, the 162 could have found some holes in there, but you know, you like what you see, you trust in those guys, um, and we'll just let them grow. And a little bit later on in the press conference, uh, Mattingly was asked about how the league overall can carry the momentum of completing the shortened season, and especially how the final month and a half plus the playoffs, how it's more or less that part of it went off without a hitch, more or less. After, of course, the Marlins and the Cardinals had the early outbreaks at the start of the season. But the fact that they were able to finish the season on a high note, they were able to get through a 60-game slate, get through the playoffs, get through the World Series, how much momentum the league itself can carry into 2021 as they try to get back to a realm of normalcy. Mattingly started by talking relatively big picture. He mentioned the importance of the vaccine and how much that will help the sport and really the country start to return to normalcy. And he also mentioned the need to have fans in the stands, even if it is in a limited capacity to start, if they're going to be playing the full 162-game season. But as he continued answering and got to the end of his response, he went very specific with how the Marlins themselves are going to be able to carry the momentum and and try to sustain their success from 2020 into 2021. Here's his response on that portion of it, on the Marlins-specific portion of his response. Do I think we're sustainable for 162? I do. 
Uh, we felt that way going into spring training last year, the very first spring training, that because of our pitching, and that's what I speak from, and I think we're sustainable because we feel like we have the pitching to keep us in pretty much every game. And if, so if we pitch, we play defense, and then we got to figure out a way to put runs on the board. Obviously, you got to score some. But we're going to be built on our pitching and hopefully playing great defense. So that's what gives me confidence is those guys on the bump uh, that will be, will be throwing the baseball, hopefully the areas that they're not you know, hitting it uh, very often and hopefully not very hard when they do. And with those answers in, let's break down what he said a little bit. Obviously, Mattingly reiterated what is well known about this team. Starting pitching is their strength. That's their bread and butter. That's going to be what carries this team and what's going to determine how successful they're going to be in 2021. I mean, again, barring moves, look at their rotation. Sandy Alcantara, their all-star from 2019 and their opening day starter this year, who, after his bout with COVID, really came on strong to close out the year and had two really good starts in the playoffs, both against the Cubs and the Braves. Pablo Lopez, who became that pseudo-ace in during the season at when three starters were sidelined due to COVID and kept it up throughout the season. Sixto Sanchez, the top prospect, who showed a lot of highs and also showed a few lows and needs to find a way to find that middle gap, find a way to show that he can take that next step as he gets into 2021 and his first full season on the big league club. Eliezer Hernandez, who, until an injury knocked him out for the second half of the season, really turned heads. I was, I'm still very impressed with what Eliezer Hernandez was able to do, and if he's your number four, that's going to be a pretty good mark for them. And then most likely Trevor Rogers, the another one of the prospects, a first-round pick from 2016, lefty, gives them that left-handed look in the rotation. Again, like Sixto, showed some moments, but also showed where he has a lot of room to grow. And then you have Edward Cabrera, Braxton Garrett, Nick Knighter, three more of their prospects, all ranked in the top 11 in the system. That's really good depth there. And of course, they all still have a lot to prove and need to show what they can do on the big league level. But all in all, when you look at just those eight, and then obviously you have the rest of the group that's behind them, that's a good starting point. But there is also one other point that really needs to be honed in on that Mattingly mentioned loud and clear when he was asked about it during the press conference. The Marlins pitchers and starting pitchers in general in baseball are going to take a sizable jump in terms of innings pitched. I mean, if you look at the Marlins, no one threw more than 62 and third innings last year. And for that matter, outside of Sandy Alcantara, no one on the starting pitching staff has thrown more than 100 innings in a season, period. And Mattingly acknowledged that both he, he's going to have to work with pitching coach Mel Stoudemire Jr. to find a way to bridge that gap between knowing that these guys are going to have to take the bulk of the load and throw their normal innings, but also make sure they don't overdo it and potentially throw some inning restrictions in there to make sure that this staff doesn't end up dealing with more injuries than would happen in a normal season. And when you look at the staff, Pablo Lopez, as great as he was in the shortened season, his two seasons before were ended by right shoulder injuries. Sixto Sanchez, before his debut, 
he was dealing he dealt with right elbow inflammation and the Marlins really eased him in since they traded for him in that Real Muto trade before 2019 spring training. So the Marlins are going to be very keen and very insightful and very aware of what's going on with its starting pitching. But also, if you limit the starting pitchers and you put those restrictions on them, that means you're going to potentially have to be bouncing and mixing and matching with some of the other prospects who are still waiting in the wings, or that means you're putting a heftier workload in the bullpen. Yes, that same bullpen that's still a work in progress, and it's likely going to be a work in progress until the season starts. Again, knock on wood, we're hoping we get that April 1st start against the Rays and we get the full 162 in. But... Again, when you look at this bullpen, they are going to try to sign a few more arms. There's uh, Marlins man, general manager Kim Ang and Don Manning both said that they're looking at finding that best combination of eight arms that are going to be able to give them the best chance to win. But they also both more or less clearly said that they're not going to be going for that group, that top-end group of closers, which there are a lot of really good guys out there that could could easily help bolster this club. I mean, Brad Hand's still out there, Trevor Rosenthal's still out there, Liam Hendricks, Blake Trinan. Again, that's just the short end of the top end. There's still a lot of other mid-tier guys who could easily come in and help this group in the back end of the bullpen. But until they actually make a move and until they start adding more than what they did through the Rule 5 draft and by getting Adam Simber earlier in the month. Let's just look internally at what they have. As the bullpen stands right now, there's no way that Jimmy Garcia isn't the front runner for the closer job at this point. He was the setup guy last year for Brandon Kinsler, primarily through the 8th, occasionally through the 7th. But he was really good in, yes, limited sample size, only 15 innings. Gave up one run. Opponents only hit 164 against him. 19 strikeouts against five walks. And another interesting nugget that Mattingly pointed out when I asked him specifically what he liked and his where his confidence level is again, is in Yimmy Garcia if he is the primary closer was that even though Yimmy didn't regularly pitch the ninth, that was Brandon Kinsler's job through and through last season. Yimmy Garcia was still primarily responsible for facing a lot of the opposing team's top hitters. When I looked through his 14 relief appearances and just went through the box scores, he faced at least two of the top four of an opponent's lineup 12 out of 14 times. That included five five of his relief appearances, more than a third of them, where the first batter he faced was the, team, was the opposing team's leadoff hitter. So... With him being able to have that success, again, in a limited sample size, but even if you stretched out to 2019 in L.A., he still has around a three ERA over 2019 and 2020. He's one of the the top relievers when it comes to weak contact. His hard hit rate allowed was only about 27% over the last two years. So he has the making of that potential closure, that guy to – come in in those late and close situations. And the Marlins, having Jimmy, that helps. But now the question is, who's next? Who are the other guys who are going to fill those seventh and eighth inning roles when the Marlins have a two-run lead against the Braves or the Mets or the Nationals or whoever they're facing? Mattingly's optimistic about Richard Blyer. Uh, he 
And with Richards, he was primarily that one of those guys who you have a situation, you have two outs, you have runners on first and second, and he comes in, gets a ground ball, gets the one out, gets out of the gym. Big role, big responsibility. Now we need to see what he's able to do when it extends to a full inning on a regular basis, consistently having that role set up for him. And he was really good. He was able to get both lefties and righties out, which is really good for a lefty reliever. But that's two. Ideally, they have at least still have at least two more in their back pocket to trust in those high leverage situations. And with the with the group they have, who's that going to be? Uh, Adam Simber, James Hoyt, can Stephen Tarpley or Alex Vesia potentially find another level to their game and give the Marlins another lefty option? Either of the Rule Five guys, uh, Paul Campbell or Zach Pop, are they going to be able to to jump right in, go straight from Double A to being a steady member of the bullpen? It's going to be very interesting to watch how that unfolds. And, again, we have about a couple more months for the Marlins to start formalizing how they plan to do this. But for their sake, they're going to need to see some sort of steadiness and some sort of improvement from that bullpen because it's two consecutive years now during this rebuild where they prioritize the bullpen. And they're going to need to start paying some, seeing some dividends paid off here. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to jump into the position player portion of whether or not the Marlins can find this sustainability that they hope to see as they move from 2020 to 2021. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay, we're back, everyone. I hope you guys didn't go too far. Uh, in the first half, we talked a very good bit about the Marlins pitching situation heading into 2021 as they hope to emulate their production from a year ago, a uh, production that got them their first winning record since 2009, their first playoff appearance since 2003, and what they hope to be the first step in moving forward and continuing the sustainability that the Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman ownership group has preached since they took over this organization. And as we head into year four, it's starting to really become crunch time for them. They know it. The team knows it. Ownership knows it. The players know it. But the Marlins are also in this weird predicament that the rest of the league is in with so much uncertainty following the COVID-19 pandemic, with which has basically put their financial situation in a, in a bind, really, because they still – don't know what things are going to look like in 2021. They don't know the specifics about what is going to, how, how many fans are going to be allowed inside ballparks. 
They're still negotiating their new TV deal, which their previous deal expired, has expired, and they need to get that figured out for 2021. And with that, it sort of makes sense, and it's sort of, and when you put it in that context, it sort of makes it easy to, easier in a way to understand why the Marlins on the position player front is why they're really more or less going with the group that they had at the end of last season. So, I mean, if we look at just where they are right now, yes, Kim Ang mentioned that getting a bat would be ideal in this offseason, but also noted that the bullpen is their number one priority. Let's just take a look at where they are as the roster currently stands. Uh, catcher Jorge Alfaro is going to be, unless something happens, he's going to be the guy in 2021, and this is this has to be his crew year because he had his growing pains in 2019. He missed a good amount of time in 2020 with COVID, so I give him a little bit of a pass for 2020, but this needs to be the year where they find out what they have in him, whether he can be their guy long-term or whether they're going to start figuring out what their options are moving forward, whether they're going to have to really start taking a deep look into Will Bamfield for down the stretch, as in 2021, 2022, hoping that he could be ready, or making a splash in the free agent market. First base, obviously we have the interesting dynamic of Jesus Aguilar and Garrett Cooper, and the remaining uncertainty of whether or not the National League is going to have a designated hitter in 2021. Uh, Mattingly mentioned that as of right now, National League clubs have been told to proceed as if it's going to be NL-style games, which means no DH, the pitcher batting, which puts the Marlins in an interesting spot because Jesus Aguilar and Garrett Cooper are two of arguably their top four offensive weapons when it comes to production at the plate. And if you don't have the DH, will Mattingly potentially put Cooper in right field? or even in left field for that matter, if they want to give Corey Dickerson small face, how are they going to find the best way to get both of them timing the lineup, timing the lineup together, and also making sure that both of them remain healthy while also contributing as much as the Marlins are going to need them to contribute. Uh, second base is going to be very interesting. That, to me, when we get into spring training, is going to be the, one of the spots that I'm going to be paying attention to the most because – Heading into 2020, that was Isan Diaz's job. 2020 was supposed to be the year where we saw whether or not Isan Diaz would be their everyday second baseman. He played seven games in 2020. He only played. He started. He started two of the first three in the series against Philly to open the year. Then he opted out due to during the COVID outbreak. Then around the trade deadline, he requested to opt back in. He gets cleared to return, and then only gets five more games in before injuring his groin, and basically losing a very key season for him. And with Isan Diaz's loss of playing time, that just opened the door for Jazz Chisholm, who the Marlins do view as their shortstop of the future. But in the meantime, he showed he can play second base. He's able, he's, his defense is solid, and they're still very optimistic about what he can do with the plate, even though we didn't see much in the limited sample size last season. So... Will Eason be able to hold off Jazz Chisholm for his job? Because, again, they're both fighting for second base. They're both lefties. And I would imagine whichever one of them isn't starting is going to be back down to AAA next year. Because you'll have John Birdie who can – you'll have John Birdie as your righty guy who you can spell out with whoever gets the starting job. 
you'll be able to move some pieces around, but I just don't see how both of them are going to be on the team at the same time, at least while you have Miguel Rojas at shortstop. And speaking of that, Miguel Rojas, shortstop, that's his job. We all know that. Came off a great 2020 season. Now it's a matter of seeing how much of that offense production is going to translate over and over a full 162-game season. But either way, Miguel Rojas is the captain. He's going to be shortstop. That's over and done with. Third base, Brian Anderson. We all know that. He's going to be in a pretty big year for him because he's in his first year of arbitration this year. The Marlins only have two more years of team control once the season comes to an end. And Kim Ang's mentioned that she wants to watch him in person and see what he does this year before figuring out whether or not the Marlins are going to extend him a long-term contract, which for the Marlins, who really don't have much in the well when it comes to third base, and the fact that Brian Anderson is one of their homegrown guys, locking him up would be one of the things that would be in the Marlins' best interest. So Brian Anderson is going to be in a sort of prove-it year, even though he's sort of already proven it over the last three. And then when we transition to the outfield, again, we're going back into oodles and oodles of depth. And we know Corey Dickerson in left, Starling Marte in center, and then you'll have some combination of Lewis Brinson, Monty Harrison, potentially Magnery Sierra, potentially Jesus Sanchez, all of them at some point making an impact in that right field spot or at least competing for that right field spot. And the Marlins are going to need to hope that they get the Corey Dickerson that they thought they were going to get when they signed him last offseason and hope that the guy who, who is known for hitting above 300 for a season comes back. And they're also going to get the luxury of having a full season of Starling Marte compared to 20-some regular season games after the trade deadline. So having Marte for a full season, hoping Dickerson turns it around, and then hoping one of whoever you have in right field can continue to make, make leaps and bounds in some sort of improvement, if it all works out, and again, that's the big thing, it's all ifs and hypotheticals and what ifs at this point, the outfield should be able to give an uptick in production compared to what the Marlins got over the course of the 60 games last year when they were mixing and matching a lot until they got to, until they traded for Marte, got him to settle in center field, got Corey Dickerson on a regular basis and left, and then they really more or less just platooned Lewis Brinson and Matt Joyce last year. So if they can get Lewis Brinson to keep up what he did toward the end of last year and then either find, find a left-handed back to platoon him with, whether that's Sierra or finding someone in the free agent market, a la a match choice type role, and then having a Monty Harrison, having Monty Harrison and John Birdie as your speed guys off the bench and defensive replacements, there are pieces there. There are definitely pieces there. It's just a matter of showing the production and not relying on the spiel of we know the potential's there. The potential is going to have to become results sooner rather than later, and especially if they don't sign another marquee starting line of that, it's going to have to turn to results basically right out of the gate if they're going to want to prove that what they did over a 60-game season isn't a fluke as they move into 2021, which as of right now, the countdown's just over four months from what's supposed to be opening day and just about two months from spring training. So it's going to be 
it's going to be interesting. Let's see what happens, if anything does happen over the offseason. We have a little bit more time before things really start heating up. Hopefully things start heating up sooner rather than later. But until then, there are things there to, to like about what's happening. There are things that still need to be seen overall, how it, everything will unfold. And with that, this is going to be the last Fish Bites podcast for the 2020 calendar year. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening in to everything that we have done so far. Hoping to expand this a little bit more when we get into 2021 and when we get closer to the start of spring training in the regular season. Uh, until then, thank you again for listening to the latest episode of Fish Bites. I'm Jordan McPherson. Have a great one, everyone. <laughs>